0: Amen. Can we open up our Bibles to Mark Mark chapter 9 this morning? Mark chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 2 through 13 today. As we continue our series in the the Gospel of Mark. It's going to be a good day today because we get to just think and consider our Savior Jesus. Again, well, we are, we are in an avatar world. No, I don't mean James Cameron, big blue people sort of world. But uh, I use this word avatar, this, this increasing attention and awareness and use of some digital form of our human self. You know, it might just be a little profile pic that we have on some social media item or this digital being or creation that we use to interact with the world and a game, maybe. Uh, last year, Fox introduced a new TV show. I don't know if you watched this. I watched an episode of this uh, called Alter Ego, and this show gives singers an opportunity to perform not as themselves on stage, but as as an avatar, this invention, this creation of themselves. And so, um, I don't know if you caught this at all, but there's the a ton of technology being used. The performer is actually backstage with a a get up of art, uh, capture motion, you know, motion capture technology, 3D technology, and they perform backstage, but their, their avatar self is on stage uh, doing the performance, their alter ego. There's a judge and there's a panel and they win and, uh, and whatnot. And uh, the website quotes, they'll be given the chance to show how they've always wanted to be seen, creating their dream Avatar, alter ego to reinvent themselves and to perform like never before. Uh, One contestant quoted themselves. He said, I am who I think I am, and I don't have to be afraid. And this came along with, I'm kind of a techie, so I follow along with some of this stuff, but Facebook's uh, Mark Zuckerberg CEO announced that Facebook would be changing its name to Meta, This envisioning of this this metaverse, uh, this digital uh, immersive embodied world in the digital world, what he he would say quote to to find a deep feeling of presence, Um, and guess how we can do that? He suggests by using avatars. Um, This limitless world, expansive world, uh, could be experienced through this digital self. Now we don't have time to analyze all that's going on and all of this stuff. Um, Maybe there's another sermon series that we can tackle some of these things. But as I consider some of these, this kind of desire, this unction, this move towards these things, it's possible under under that is a desire to escape what really is a lot of brokenness around us. Uh, A desire to find a deeper, true identity. a longing to get in touch with a reality that is beyond here to a more, more connected, uh, something more pure, something more beautiful. So the, that desire to find something truer and deeper and greater and purer is, is in our hearts. Uh, but the Christian message and hope is one that recognizes that this, this is a broken place. And suffering is part of that. We saw and we thought about that last week as Jesus communicated to the disciples as a disciple of Jesus, there will be self-denying, cross-bearing as we walk and we follow our Savior. But escape is not the answer. It is not encountering or creating something fictional outside of us to give us hope. The answer is encountering and knowing the real, true, living Christ who infuses all of this real life with purpose and with hope as we find ourselves, our identity, based on who he is. And so today we come to this, this momentous passage, uh, a well-known passage, the, the, the transfiguration. And it's right in the middle of Mark's gospel, where along with Jesus, he's been revealing who he is, and he's been making his mission known to suffer and to die and to rise. This is his mission as the Christ. He he gives us this glimpse of more of who he is, this window of to, of his true nature. And Jesus transforms before the disciples to reveal his true self, that he is the divine Son of God, sent from heaven, sent by the Father, And he gives them a glimpse, and he gives us a glimpse into this glorious future event of his resurrection. And though he suffers and though he dies, his resurrection will give his disciples, and gives us hope through our suffering as we follow him, and we follow him and his words. And so, let us read our text today, and then we're going to pray and ask the Lord to continue to be with us. Beginning on verse 2, chapter 9. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, uh, Rabbi, it, it, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. As they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the son of man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning, what is this rising from the dead might mean? And they asked him, why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how it is written that the son of man, that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Join me as we pray. Lord, thank you for just being able to sing this morning that we, we have you, and we have a foretaste of our deliverance and in that, we have an unwavering hope in you. And yet we, we today, Lord, we need by your spirit to remind us that Jesus is better. Make our hearts believe today that uh, that, that is our hope. That, it, that is the thing that we, we must stand upon and we can stand upon For joy and for strength and so would you help us behold you today jesus by your spirit we need to see and to know with our eyes of faith in a fresh way who you are and who we are in you and so would you help us as we read through the word we need your spirit let us hear from you today church said amen well the placement of this moment of this transfiguration is important if you've got your Bibles open, um, a paper Bible, I always love having that paper Bible because so you can kind of see context is what's going on. If you just look back a little bit, you remember we saw in verse 29, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ. And then Jesus tells him, don't share that with anybody. And then Jesus shares that he's going to suffer and die and rise. Peter rebukes Jesus for saying that. And Peter then gets rebuked and corrected by Jesus and then Jesus tells the disciples in the crowd what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and what that's going to require of them, a self-denying, cross-bearing following of him. And then this, in verse uh, 1, chapter 9, we saw that Jesus says that there will be some among them that will not taste death until Jesus reveals himself in power and glory. There's this, there's this confidence that there will be a keeping as Jesus reveals himself and then Six days later, we come to this moment, this moment on this mountaintop, this revealing of Jesus' glory. So we're going to take some time just to kind of think about, observe some details, sort of the what, which I think is going to get us to the why of what's going on. So Jesus goes up the mountain with Peter, James, and John, these special pals. These unique three have, have had kind of a special place. They were the first disciples to be called um, they, they have found themselves near Jesus With, with like Peter's uh, mom-in-law being healed They were just there And then these three were present When Jairus' daughter was healed in her room And so they, they find this special moment now With Jesus going up this mountain Likely Mount Hermon Which is near Caesarea Philippi Where they were days prior And probably still present And then this spectacular Situation takes place on this mountain. Now, for the Jewish mind and experience, this moment was filled with familiar elements. Think about another mountain top where God displayed his power and he spoke. Well, their minds would go likely to God delivering Israel from slavery, them moving into the wilderness, and them finding themselves at the foot of a mountain, Mount Sinai. And the People were told to prepare themselves to hear from God, and he's going to speak to them and enact his covenant with his people before they were led into the promised land. And so there are all these observable, similar, and some different elements. And, And one of those is this mountain. Mountains in Scripture, we find this is a meeting place with God and people. And Mount Sinai is one of the most important in Israel's history. Both Moses and Elijah received God's words on mountain, on a mountain, and then on this particular mountain, and then there's this presence of, of clouds, of smoke. And this is oftentimes a, a picture of God's presence being there. And out, at Mount Sinai, it says that a thick cloud came down, surrounded this mountain along with smoke. And Moses went up into it, and God spoke from the mountain, and his voice was so intense. And so holy that the people were afraid. They 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 actually begged for God to stop speaking, and they'd rather God speak through Moses. And then there's this, this experience of Moses coming out of the mountain and out of the presence of God. And it says that Moses' face was shining, glowing, and it was so intense that the people were actually scared and he put a veil over his face because. He experienced God's presence, and that's what was being reflected, much like a, the moon reflecting the sun's glory. This is what Moses was experiencing, this encounter with God. Except for Moses, he had to be hidden in a cleft of a rock because he, as God's glory passed by in that moment in Exodus. Uh, God told him that, that no one can see my face. No one can see me and live. And so, all of these connections that are showing up are telling us something epic is happening once again in this moment. But it wasn't just a replay, it wasn't just it again. Something greater is going on, something new is taking place, something better is taking place. Mountains, God speaking, clouds, a shining face, white. And there's even this presence of Moses and Elijah in this situation. Figures of old, of greatness, of stature and revere. And they're they're there visiting with Jesus. But what is interesting is they come to him. Jesus is superior in this this moment. So this is an epic situation. And it says that Jesus was, was transfigured before them. Or, or transformed. This Greek word me, means to be changed into another form. And he became dazzling white. That, that, that no, nobody could bleach. Actually, like no launderer could make something this white. It was so intense. Matthew's Gospel actually says that, that Jesus' face shone like the sun. You see, he didn't become something he wasn't in this moment. This is key. But it was a revelation. It was a visible revealing of who he is. His nature was being displayed before these disciples. And Jesus isn't just reflecting like maybe Moses was, a moon reflecting the light of the sun. This was the glory of God emanating from him as the son of God. So there's Jesus, Elijah, and Moses, and the three disciples, and here we have Peter, our bold, sometimes bumbling disciple, making this odd statement, a suggestion of what to do with Elijah and Jesus and Moses. I just wonder, how did he know that was Elijah and Moses? I mean, it's not like he followed them on Instagram or something, there was... Some sort of awareness of what they look like because of family photos, but somehow in this moment they were caught up in this celestial experience, and he knew who they were. He realized, and he he boldly in this moment to suggest Jesus, maybe we should put some tents together, and uh, this word actually is like tabernacles, and um, and we all could just camp out here. and he says that he, was, he did this because he was scared out of his mind. He didn't know what to say. Another one of those just humble, laughable moments for Peter. I mean, Peter likely was the one that gave much of this narrative information to Mark to record. And uh, he gave that little detail. I was scared of my mind. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> but why did he suggest this? Well, one, one idea is that Peter was wanting this extended hangout in this moment. He didn't want it to leave. Right, Um, he he wanted there just to be a a time for them to just stay. But I think the key is that they were they were scared, they were afraid. It says terrified. What what is common when people encounter the presence of God in Scripture? They they often fall on their face. They they are struck and overwhelmed in that moment with the overwhelming presence of God. In the original Greek, we don't have punctuations like we do in English. And one theologian suggested it's possible this moment of intense fear. We could read Peter saying in alarm, Jesus, is it good that we are here in this moment? But even if Peter's desire to set up tabernacles as a place for them to dwell, this would be a place where we'd want to dwell with God Jesus is coming to change how humanity would access and relate to him and his presence. And this is what Jesus is communicating. And the cloud surrounds them and God the Father speaks from the cloud again like Sinai. But this time he, he is speaking about his son. And this, where we see this, this apex, this, this climax in our story, the Father speaking affirming the son this is my beloved son listen to him the father echoes what we saw in mark chapter 1 after jesus's baptism verse 10 the heavens were torn open and the spirit descended on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven you are my beloved son with you i am well pleased So at the initiation of Jesus' ministry, his identity is affirmed as the Son of God. And here at the pivot of Mark, Jesus' identity once again is affirmed along with this accent of his mission. Remember, we are beginning to know and answer this question, why is he here? What did he come to do? And he is the prophet of God coming to bring God's word and through his word the way of salvation for his people. Jesus has been pleading through Mark, hear and understand, hear, listen. And this relates to his message, the good news. He came preaching news, good news, his gospel. And in hearing that good news, people will be saved. And the Father tells us to listen to him. Then it says, suddenly in a moment, Moses, Elijah, The cloud is all gone and there Jesus is alone. Jesus is this way of this new way of salvation to God. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. It's not Elijah. It's not Moses. He is the true prophet of God. He is Messiah. He is Christ. And this is a fulfillment of the prophetic word spoken. In the Old Testament, centuries before, Deuteronomy chapter 18, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. This is the exact very phrase. Listen to him. You shall listen to him. Jesus is the prophet, the greater prophet that has come, and the Father is pleased with the Son. Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, his identity is pleasing and good. Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, his mission, what he just told would happen, suffer, die, and rise, is pleasing and good and necessary. The disciples, remember, they were trying to grasp this idea of the suffering Messiah. And this is the Father now affirming what Jesus is saying and what his mission is, it is good. The cross is good and necessary. His suffering and their suffering for his sake is good and necessary. They must receive those words. They must believe those words. And this all is tying together what God has called Jesus to and then his disciples to and what it would be from the beginning, the plan from long ago. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, and in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. What are they getting a glimpse of on this mountain? Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. The disciples were encountering this. To see Christ is to see and to know God. And because God is speaking, Jesus, the Son of God, it demands their attention. It demands our attention. It demands our humble trust. And our obedience and to disbelieve or disregard or disobey Jesus is to reject God himself, the one who created the world, who speaks. And so he calls all to respond to those words, his words, his gospel words. So this morning, I'm not sure where you are or maybe if you're watching online or listening online, do you receive Jesus's words? Receive his words today. Trust on him today. But as the statement goes, what goes up must come down. So what happens in our scene? The disciples and Jesus come down the mountain. This next scene changes in verse 9. You see, Jesus has been helping the disciples embrace and understand that His words, they must trust what he has called them to do, but most importantly, his road as Messiah. And this glorious, epic mountaintop experience, radiant light, God's presence, would have been overwhelming, but I I can imagine there was something intoxicating about that as well. Can't we just stay up here? Maybe to Peter's point. But remember, no crown without the cross first. His suffering must come before his glory revealed. And so they come down the mountain, and Jesus tells them once again to this secret sort of message that we've seen in Mark. And he charged them not to tell anyone of what they've seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead kind of like if somebody left you a note or an envelope and said, don't open this into a particular day or until I am gone, what, what you read then on that time is going to make sense of what's going on now. and This moment wouldn't make full sense until that one day. So there's something that they did not understand that they still can't seem to grasp, and how do we know that? Because they were, again, talking among themselves, what does it mean about this rising from the dead? What does this mean? And they ask a question about Elijah, probably because they just saw him. I don't know. We saw Elijah. Maybe there's something about this Elijah guy we could ask about. I think it's because after Peter's blunder of rebuking Jesus, they have to come at a much more subtle and a roundabout way about asking Jesus questions about his death. So what do they ask? Well, In the final verses of Malachi, we're told that the prophet Elijah is sent by God before the great and terrible awesome day of the Lord, Malachi chapter 4. And in his coming, uh, there was going to be redemption. There would be victory. There would be a crushing of enemies. And then there would be peace, likely all around them. And so, in one sense, they're sort of asking Jesus, didn't Elijah say he's going to come first? And wasn't it going to be all rosy after he came? So, if you're the Messiah and Elijah has come, why do you keep talking about all this suffering? Why is it required that you have to die if all of this peace would be present after Elijah come, comes? And Jesus tells them Elijah did come. And we know that this represented John the Baptist. And Jesus is saying, remember what happened to him? He was a prophet, and what did they do to him? They killed him. And remember, he was the forerunner for me. He, he had restoration, but he was just preparatory, and I'm coming to bring a greater restoration, but my path will be one where I will be treated for contempt because of my message and because of who I am. And if he wasn't exempt then I will not be exempt, and likely likely you will not be exempt. First the cross, then the crown. Death, then resurrection. Suffering, and then glory. And this transfiguration was was a foretaste for them of his presence, of his glory, a a portion of, a snapshot of what would be after his suffering, after his dying, and then his rising, his resurrection, of what he would accomplish to make complete access for all his people into his glory. Now, remember how Moses, he could not see God and live. So how would one encounter the holy, blazing, glory, the manifestation of who God is, and live. But what is stunning is the disciples are here in God's presence. They see Jesus, God, and yet they don't die. How is this possible? Because Jesus is the way to live before God. Philippians 2 tells us that he set his side, his heavenly glory, that he made himself of no reputation, he took on human form, human flesh, human garments in a sense, a body that would then in turn be torn and broken and bloodied so that sinners could access God's presence, not fear, but through the merits of Christ, through trusting on him, not law-keeping, not Old Testament priests, but through himself, through Jesus' cross. That's where he was going, his cross, his death, his resurrection, so that people could come near to his presence, encounter his presence, and live. You see, these disciples bumbling along and trying to understand, as slow as they were, this was a moment of grace and mercy. I mean we should see this for ourselves. The disciples were invited up to this mountaintop experience. Nothing qualified them to take that mountainous journey and access this revelation of who Christ was. They were invited by Jesus into that moment. And likewise brothers and sisters we we don't merit that access by something we've done. Something you did this week, something you didn't do this week, it is because of grace and mercy. And as believers, it is is good news that we can access Jesus' presence not by traveling to some location, some temple or Mecca, but we encounter that by accessing God through the divine work of Jesus in his gospel. And you and I are invited into that by grace and mercy. You and I, and it's not just for a select few, it's not just for Peter's and James and John's, it is for all who would come. All who would come. And you don't have to hide backstage and put on some fake acceptable (laughs) image in order to be Uh, to get that access. We come as we are and we're invited to that because of Jesus's mercy and because of the gospel. And he welcomes you. He welcomes me. As I've been thinking through this text this week, I, I just keep thinking about that term. Sometimes we use those mountaintop experiences. If you've been a believer for a long time and You maybe have had those moments that just sort of look back in your Christian life and just think, man, there were some times where I just, it was just real. It was just tangible. Some retreat maybe, maybe camp experience, maybe just some moment in your life where it just seems like things were right and beautiful and God's presence was just so near and good. And other times it just feels like it's just hard. Life is hitting us in the face and reality has set in and we are down at some bottom of the mountain, and it, we feel distant from that experience. And So Peter's desire to set up home, which maybe seems bizarre and out of place, maybe there's something to that. He, he knew that God's dwelling place is with man, and they will be with God, and he, they will be his people, and there is this, there's this anticipation that, the, that Scripture gives us from the beginning, dwelling in his presence, is what we were made for, a place of beauty and goodness, and why, why wouldn't I not want that all the time? We long for that. We want to shed off this, this old stuff, broken stuff, and just put on new, or longing for something supernatural beyond this world. have navigated a couple funerals the past three weeks and being near brokenness and death and people's suffering, man, it's heavy. I just want to go up to a mountain. I just want, I want light. I want healing. I want beauty. and And I want, I want my heart to be full of that. And our hearts are made for that. So for certain, this moment was for Jesus to reveal himself more of who he was as the divine son of God and that his resurrection glory would come but this would this would help and serve his disciples this moment was for his disciples they would have to suffer as his disciples they would be tempted to doubt because of what they would see happen with their savior and they would need something to hold on to in that moment when it was hard And his power and his future restoring of all things, this moment would instill faith for them. They would know that suffering was going to come, but the resurrected Christ would come. And when pain and confusion hits and hit for them, it would not be an escape, but it would be something that we needed that was real, deep and real. And what we need is the same thing. It's not a, an escape. It is encountering the very real Christ who comes to us and reveals himself to us by the Spirit through his word. And he's with us, church. He's with us right now, in part, fully one day. And so if we, if we are on sort of this mountaintop experience, maybe that's where you are. Everything sort of feels right and good, and you're basking in maybe sun and the radiance, or you're down at the bottom. Guess what? Jesus is with them there, and Jesus is with us down here. And maybe there's some of you here, and you're just tempted to think that your present suffering or moment is a result of some maybe failure on your part. It's like some sort of punishment. You feel like you're down in the valley, at the bottom, and it is hard, and you miss, you, you've seen other people sort of traverse that mountaintop thing, and you're thinking, why am I not getting that? Just encourage you, don't, don't despair. God is near you. Isn't something you have done or haven't done? It's not God's punishment. Look to Christ today. He's with you. He's with us in the high, he's with us in the low, and we must remember this. He is powerfully changing us in the process, wherever we are, in that journey. You see, Jesus reveals himself, transforms, not by changing who he is, but revealing more of who he is. And as the disciples behold him, they will be changed. And Jesus is moving towards. Jerusalem and his cross where he would die and he would suffer and he would rise and he would restore all things by his work of the gospel and he is doing that with us right now as we journey. Broken sinners being transformed into his likeness. Can I say maybe transfigured into his likeness by his grace. And this journey is that process of us becoming more of who we already are in him. We read this text this morning in Corinthians chapter 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm sorry, where we we were once blind, we could not see, and then we began to see, and we are changed as we behold him. And this word transformed in this text is the same word that relates to this word transfigured in Mark. This is what verse 18 says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So saints, we, we become who we are made to be by beholding Jesus, the glorified Christ, by faith, through the gospel. So as we encounter him as Believers, as we look to him, as we worship him, as we put faith upon him, as we turn in trust to him, it says that we are transformed a little bit at a time more like him, becoming more like Jesus. What we behold is what we become. The thing that we look to, the thing that we worship is what we will become like, and we are invited to continue to look to him. We are invited to come and behold him and to worship him. And in that, as we worship him, our faith is fueled. Our hope is renewed. Why do we gather routinely on a Sunday morning? Because we need to worship. I need to worship. I need my heart to be caught up once again to see Jesus, to know him and to trust in him. I need hope. I need to be renewed. I need to become more like him because my kids need to know the love of Jesus. And left to myself, they're going to know something else. And that's not good because I'm a sinner. And I don't want them to know Christ and my wife and my neighbors. And I need to behold Christ. I was talking to a brother this week in, in his job. He's just in thick in the midst of just the demand of his work. Just intense stress. And I know this brother is tempted to anxiety. And he said, man, I was like, how you doing with anxiety right now? And he says, oh, man, I've I just, just been putting on some worship music because I just know I need to worship. And I was like, how you doing? He's like, I'm finding faith in this moment. Doesn't mean anxiety is disappearing. Doesn't mean that demand isn't going to go away. But he is finding hope in the thick of that moment because he's beholding Jesus. And I see him being conformed to Christ. I see Christ in his brother. And so this contestant who says, I am who I think I am, I don't have to be afraid, thought that that was becoming something fictional and fake, creating something that was digital. That's not what we need. What's going to absolve our fear? What's going to help us find hope? And find out who we really are. We don't need to escape into some fictional alternative self. We need to see Him. We need Jesus. And we need the Spirit to give us, as Corinthians tells us, this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We need the Spirit to give us eyes to behold Jesus, to know Christ. So, church, let's keep worshiping Him, let's keep encouraging one another. Set our eyes on him. Let's keep hearing his words. We need to listen to him through his word. So let's keep encouraging one another as we hear his word, as we worship him, and as we do, we will, he will keep working in us. He will fuel us with faith to follow him, whatever that mountain feels like or that valley feels like, because he's with us and he's near. Amen? Amen. Amen let us pray. Jesus, we do need eyes to see today. And we know that we can see, and we do see, see because there's a a veil that has been lifted from us, and we behold the glory of the Lord, who is Jesus, revealed in Jesus. When we see Jesus, we behold the radiance of the glory of God. And, And we know that Lord, we, we are prone to, to distractions from seeing that. We know that we're prone to doubt and fears to seeing that. We're prone to our own sin and losing sight of that. And so we just ask for you to come, Holy Spirit, and help us to, to see you, Jesus, today in a fresh way and tomorrow and the next day. Lord, I know all of us in this room are on the, maybe some spectrum. <laughs> just feel like maybe things are just good, and we man, Jesus' his glory is really clear right now on a mountain and some of us are down low and it just maybe seems hard. God, would you, would you remind our hearts that whatever that place is, we, we get you. You are near us. You are with us. And all of that is going somewhere. There's a future, Lord, where you will make all things right and we will see you clearly forever give us hearts of faith today Lord would you help us to be discerning those around us um, who are struggling to see and we could come alongside them and we could, we could speak words of hope and comfort help, help their hearts see you Jesus clearly by just holding out fresh gospel hope to them Thank you for the gift of the body and community to do that for us when we're struggling. Amen.